to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is David Olds. And a little bit about David. He's a full-time real estate investor based out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he's accumulated over 70 rental properties and continued to flip, mastering not only wholesaling, but property management, as well as raising private money. Now, David is a sought-after speaker and coach who has a thriving nationwide wholesale company and continues to grow his rental portfolio while teaching the next generation of investors the tips and secrets that they need to rapidly grow their business and get to their desired income life and lifestyle. So welcome to the show, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. Thank you so much for having me on. So we are going to learn about all your secrets, tips, and tricks on how to build our portfolio today. Is that right, David? <laughs> yeah, we can we can talk about it as long as you want. <laughs> awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show, David. If you want to start off by sharing a little bit more about your background and how you yeah. got started in real estate. Well, I'm like an old guy, right? So, so I got started really late. All these kids I see running around now, 17, 18, 16, flipping houses. I didn't get really get started full time until I was almost 40. But before that, I was, I'm was i in Chattanooga, Tennessee now, but before I lived in the Orlando market. And I sort of, you know, like a lot of people, I stumbled upon a book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. We've all heard that story. That sort of led me to the, uh, the RIA down there, which is uh, CFRI.net, Central Florida Real Estate Investors. Great group if you're in Orlando. You should definitely join them. But yeah, I sort of, I fell backwards into it a little bit. I started going to the RIA, learning you know, a big organized RIA every week. It's like a different topic and a different thing that you can learn. So I just sort of jumped in and became immersed in real estate, trying to learn all different kinds of things. And in the beginning, it's, you know, it's just like drinking from a, like a fire hose, right? Just subject to and owner financing and condo conversions and land development and landlording and just junker houses and just all this stuff. But it was back in the mid 2000s when the market was on fire. So we started with rehabbing because that seemed to make the most sense and flipped a couple of houses and made a bunch of money, more money than we had any right to. It wasn't because we were smart. It was because kind of like now the market was crazy, crazy hot. And so we did that for a few years while I was working full time. I used to be a salesman for ProBuild and 84 Lumber. So I was kind of involved in the construction side of things a little bit. But then as the 2000s wore on, we noticed that we weren't selling houses quite as fast. It just kept getting a little longer and longer and longer. And then the recession happened. <laughs> it was the end of the world. Florida was just, if you were in real estate in Florida, it was absolutely terrible. Our last property that we bought, real quick, I'll tell you, it was a little ranch style house in Deltona, Florida. And, and if you know about like Central Florida, every house is the same. They're just kind of like, they're all the same block houses, ranch style. And I bought this, it was a probate deal. I bought it for 97000 I think. And a similar property, one block over, two blocks down, like identical layout, everything had just sold for 214 or something. And this was in August of, I think, 08. So we we're kind of, we we're probably right at the tip or a little bit over where pricing bubble was, but nobody ever knows. You don't know when you're in the middle of that. And so I bought it in August. I worked on it. We finished it up. I called my realtor in January and she's like, you did a great job. I'm like, I know. She said, it looks great. I'm like, I know. I'm like, what can we sell this thing for? She's like, probably about 145. I was like, you know, it was like, you heard the emergency breaker. Like, what do you mean? 214, six months ago, less than six months ago. 
She's like, yeah, well, there's been a lot of foreclosures. And I'm like, well, my house is better. <laughs> I know I can sell it for more than that. And uh, she's like, no, but we're going to. We can sell this for at least 165. So I put it on the market at 165, got nothing. A couple months later, 155, 145. It just kept getting worse and worse because it's like chasing a ball going downhill. Your kid throws a ball and you're like running and it's just the ball keeps rolling. So at that point, we had already bought a couple properties in Chattanooga. So we knew we had to go. So I ended up just selling it on a lease option. Left town with my wife, my two kids, my brother, who was helping us in our business. So we had like $5,000 to our name and off to Chattanooga we went to, to, buy, to buy some real estate. And that was in, that was almost 12, over, a little over 12 years ago. It was June of uh, 2009. We got here and had to start doing something. We initially thought we were going to come up here and buy some multifamilies, duplexes, quads, triplexes, that kind of stuff. But of course, we had no money. So we did the only thing we knew how to do, which was a lot of marketing. But marketing in 2009 is not the same as marketing today, right? Back then, it's bandit time and driving for dollars and post-it notes on the door and maybe some postcards and things like that. And we just realized we got really good at doing that kind of marketing and we're getting a lot of different leads. And two problems. The first problem with coming up here was we were going to buy some rental properties, but it was the recession and banks were not lending at all. (laughs) They wanted no part of of lending because they were still in the middle of the hurricane, right? It was just craziness all around you. So we figured out a way to um, start making offers to, to sellers, to owner finance to us. So that was one thing that was very successful, but also all these deals that were coming in that we couldn't do on our financing with, we were making cash offers and we started wholesaling. And probably since June of 2009, we've done over like a thousand, thousand wholesale deals. So we've done a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So, so yeah, that's kind of a short thing about me. So in between 2009, we've got 77 or 78 rentals, just dozens of rehabs and uh, a big thriving wholesale company. So wow. that's the shortest version I think I can give you. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. So when you moved to Tennessee, you know, how did you start building out your network and building out your team that you're going yeah. to utilize in that market? So great question. So the first property that we bought, I was my brother, Thomas and I, he actually found it on Craigslist. So we bought a property here well, from Florida, of course, just on, just online. We made a few trips back and forth, but the only person we knew when we moved to Chattanooga was one realtor. And we kind of knew him because we came up and he drove us around to houses for like a Saturday one time. So, I mean, it's literally that story of pulling up, burning the boats and just nothing. So we knew absolutely nobody. And what we started doing was going to local because this is what we did in Orlando. So it's, well, this is what we should do this here, right? We went to local real estate meetings and started meeting investors. You know, I figured out who some of the big buying hold, buy and hold investors were in town. And I called them up and can I go to lunch with you? Would you like to go to lunch? Would you like to, you know, let me buy lunch and I'd love to see if there's something we can do to work together or, you know, if you're interested in any of my properties. I did a lot of marketing. So again, like in those days, it was, wasn't really Facebook marketing. We'd market on Craigslist and I put out these, you know, of course we were doing like we buy houses signs, but I was also doing a lot of signs like discounted property must sell today, 70 or 30 cents on the dollar, that kind of stuff. So that would get my phone ringing. And then by just having good conversations with those people, you know, Bob calls in, Hey, Bob, great. What are you looking for? And just try to dive a little deeper than, yeah, it's a three bedroom, two baths for $10,000. You know, what are you doing? What's your strategy? How long have you been buying? And building that rapport and relationship with people. And after you do that for 
four or five, six months, you just start to meet people. And this person introduces you to that person. And, you know, you go to like the local chamber meetings and the small business meetings and just all those types of things. And, and that's how you build out. That's how we built out our network. Yeah. I mean, lots of people were great. It really helped us out. You know, a title company attorney would introduce me to one person and, you know, this wholesaler to another wholesaler and this wholesaler to a buy and hold guy. And, and just by being active in the community is how we, how we built out that network. I wish it was like a fancier secret version, but that's it. Just go out and talk to people. Yeah. Organically putting yourself out there and just letting people know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So one of the things that you had mentioned also was as you're building up a portfolio, you were doing a lot of seller financing. And so as you were starting that and organizing and setting up the, setting up these different structures, what was Mm -hmm. kind of the best way that the best structure that you've seen was the most receptive and the most effective um, when you're setting up an old seller financing structure? So are you talking about like how to make the offer? Mm -hmm, Yes. Okay, cool. So there's nobody you can just walk up to in Walmart and go, hey, would you like to sell or finance me your house, right? First of all, they have no idea what you're talking about. You know, how about an owner carry? Like, how would you like to do that or carry the paper, right? These people, they're not investors. Most investors don't know what that means. So certainly a normal person doesn't. So the way that we found success in doing it is, again, you know, we we are wholesalers. Primarily, that's our busiest business. So for that to work, we have to do a lot of marketing, right? I tell people we throw out the biggest fishnet we could, pull in all the deals possible. And so when these deals would come in, we make our cash offer. And if that doesn't work, think about it, like, it's the first time you've ever thought about it, right? Do you need all the money at once? <laughs> like if I was to give you $60,000, so like, you know, you'll pay 30,000 in taxes. I'm not an accountant, but you know, or 20,000, whatever a third of it is, you know, do you need all the money at once? And uh, a lot of times they would say no. And I'd say, well, that's cool. Let me do this. Let me run back to my office. Let me work up a couple different ways that we can maybe structure this and I can shoot that over to you or I can give you a call. And one reason that that worked was because, so again, you have to go back in time. This is 2009, 10, 11. So it's the end of the world, right? It's the recession. Houses are underwater. So lucky enough or smart enough, I'm not sure, some combination of both of those. I didn't market to people who had loans, right? Because if you had a $100,000 loan, your house is probably worth ninety. So unless you were going to try to do it subject to, you know, and then of course, rental rates were down. So those weren't really the best list. So again, by luck, for some reason, I decided, well, I'm just going to market to free and clear people, right? Because they can sell their house for whatever they want. And because I was marketing to those types of people, it was very easy after I'm, you know, let's say, you know, they wanted 40,000, whatever, and I'm on offer them 22 and they can't take 22. Well, there was a way I could get you 40 but maybe we did the payments over a little bit of time. Would something like that work? Oh yeah, I might be open to that. So that was sort of how we backed into that. Again, you know, we only marketed to free and clear people and then we made the cash offer. If that worked, fantastic, right? We'd wholesale it, you know, we'd make our five, six, $7,000 and move on with life. But if they said no, and that didn't work, you know, most people would just walk away and not do anything with that lead. So what we tried to do is figure out how can we monetize this? And that was by going in and saying, hey, how about if we, we work up a couple different ways to do this? And if that works for you, great. Well, even if a small percentage of them take of sellers take that offer over time, that's how you get a $4 million portfolio with you know almost no money down. Got it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Sure, sure. And that works for everything, right? We've got, I mean, I bought mobile homes that way, single families, all the way up to small apartment buildings. It's the same process. It doesn't matter. And honestly, the best people to take those offers are landlords. Because when when I'm talking to a landlord, you know, you're always, obviously when you're building rapport, you want to be finding what their pain point is. 
what's the pain point with landlords? Tenants, toilets, trash, taxes, right? All the, all those things. You know, so if you have that conversation, you go, oh, man, I understand those tenants are terrible. They don't pay. They've got this place a mess. You know, so that's all the pain. What's the best part about being a, a landlord? Getting that monthly check? Yeah. Oh, wow. What if I could find a way for you to not deal with the tenants and still get a monthly check? Wouldn't that be cool? It's like setting the hook, fishing. <laughs> You've got them. Once they say yes, you're done. Ears perk you know, up. You know what's going to happen. So, you know, landlords are just, there's so much opportunity with landlords to do owner financing. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. And so from since then until now, you know, you've wholesaled thousands of different transactions. And so what has been the biggest contributor for you to be able to scale to that, that volume? Hiring good people around me, honestly. I mean, again, you can be the greatest Svengali on the phone or in person, but there's just only so many people you can talk to a day. Makes sense. There's only so many times you can call the title company to check on stuff. There's only so many lists you can pull and so many postcards you can handwrite and so if you're going to scale, you have to have some people around you. Now, it's not easy to scale. <laughs> Everybody wants to do it. And I've done it both ways. And I was just as happy, you know, when I was myself and my wife and maybe like one part-time person making $250,000 a year, but we could shut it down and go to Europe for three months or whatever, and then come back. It's a balancing act. Like scaling is, once you're scaled, it's amazing. That process of going up the hill is incredibly challenging. And that's, I think, the thing people don't ever want to talk about is that struggle on the, the ride up for that 18 months, we probably made less money with a team than we were making before because we had to just invest so much money into the company and into the growth and the software and, and office and desks and payroll and, you know, all these things. So with scaling, it's like going through the fire and you, the only way you've got, you can either got to go all the way through or you've got to quit. And once you're on the other side, you've got great team members that believe in your vision you know, and you provide, a, you know, of course, a great work environment, all those things. It's great. But yes, having a team, I think that was the answer to your question. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So did you face any roadblocks as you were scaling other than the team? Sure. Yeah, money's always a problem. Everybody who uh, who wants to scale, and I even tell employees this, or, or you know, people that work for us, I say, listen, the best thing for me is to pay you 100% commission. Why is that good for me? Because I don't have to upfront all that money. And I still talk to other, you know, I've got friends that are nationwide wholesalers, and we have this discussion all the time. That's the best. From my point of view, that's the best, right? Because then... We have an assignment fee, and then I kick out a percentage. So money is the problem, and also marketing and all the things. But money is the biggest issue. But from an, you know, an employee or somebody who works for you's point of view, the average wholesale deal is taking anywhere from fifty to seventy days to close. So if I bring you in, and I'm gonna even if you know on commission, if I'm gonna pay you more, you've got to wait sixty days to get paid. Most people can't do that. Very few people 
have their life set up with enough savings that they can work hard for you for, you know, for 60 or 70 days until a deal closes and they get paid. So we do sort of a blended structure where we have a, you know, weekly salary and then they get a a percentage of the assignment fee. But yeah, hundred percent, the biggest roadblock was money. And then the second roadblock is learning how to do it. When we started, you know, nationwide wholesaling years ago, there wasn't a course on every corner of how to do it. And, you know, just, we just had to figure it out. And we made so many mistakes on the way. (laughs) So we should have quit 10 times, but we just, we knew that it could be done and we just focused on finding a solution for it. And so now you have also for yourself, you have over 70 rentals in your portfolio. And we were kind of talking a little bit earlier that prior to this, you were managing, self-managing your entire portfolio. And so now you've decided to outsource it and hire a property manager. What was the light bulb that kind of clicked for you and that helped to make that decision to hand over the management to a a third party? It was hard. I'm going to tell you, it was hard. Well, first off, I tell people, you know, having that many rentals is like having 70 children. (laughs) (laughs) I've got kids. I don't know if you do, but like some are good and some are a challenge. People ask me about rentals and usually this is what I say. I said, look, out of every 10, seven are going to be good. You're never going to hear from them. They're just going to pay their rent. It's going to be fine. Like I've got rentals that if I have to go there, I have to put in GPS because I haven't been there in so long, I forget. Two out of 10, they're going to be a pain. Broken faucet, broken door. There's always something or they're going to pay late. They'll pay, but you know, they're an aggravation. But one out of 10, it's going to make you rue the day that you got into investing, right? That's going to be the one that's going to make you want to dig your eyeball out with a spoon because they drive you freaking crazy. So managing them in-house it wasn't terrible. My wife does a great job. She handles QuickBooks and all those, all the, the bookkeeping stuff. People ask me about QuickBooks. I'm like, it happens in that black laptop over there. That's where it happens. I don't know anything about it. And then, you know, once we started to scale up, we had some people in the office. The girls in the office were fantastic about dealing with, dealing with the tenants and kind of insulating me from that. But even still, I was still the person who was calling the plumber, calling the electrician, calling the air conditioning guy. And as I got busy and started doing more speaking and I'm traveling and we've got a couple other businesses that we run, like one in Texas. And I just didn't, I honestly, I felt bad that I wasn't doing a good job taking care of my tenants. They call or they text. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll get the guy over there to fix that handrail. And I forget two weeks later, now it's another issue. And, and I just wasn't having the time to deal with it effectively. So uh, we've got a couple of great property management companies here in Chattanooga and friends with them. And the hard thing was I had to pick one of them, right? Because then I had to call a couple others afterwards and go, I went with the other person. I'm really sorry. I just had to make a decision. But yeah, so for me, it was just having time. Just I'm just maxed out on time. And you know, the, the girl that I chose, she's like, yeah, I can raise your monthly income you know, $9,000 because you haven't been doing enough rent increases. I'm like, oh, okay, great. It'll be fine. Just take it over. You're good. <laughs> so that was just time was the biggest problem for me. So what has been the most enjoyable part of your real estate investing journey so far? Meeting awesome people. I'm telling you. So in real estate, that's as an entrepreneur. Okay. That's one of the hardest things, right? Because we're all, we're, we're hunkered down. We're in our desk or in our office. And sometimes it just feels like it's you against the world. You feel like you're the only one on earth that's doing this. And you have a, a bad day or a loss or something. And it just feels like you're the only person this has ever happened to. And I tell people, listen, you've got to get out there, go be involved in the RIA, right? Make some friends, find some people that are like your allies that you can call and bounce things off of, even if, even if they're people in other markets. Like I've got some great friends in Phoenix and Texas and Florida and Oregon State. 
just friends of mine that I'm really close with that I'm, I'm having a bad day and call them and go, Corey, I know you deal with this all the time. I'm in a roadblock. Tell me the answer. You know, or Nick, what's going on? Or Ricardo, all these guys that they can do the same back and forth. So yeah, find some friends that you can just be on this journey with. Or if you want to get, be in a paid mastermind, if that's how you get to that point, that's fine too. But don't try to do this alone because it'll wear you out. You know, investing is, there's a lot of ups and downs. There are a lot of amazing days. And there's also some days where, and this is the stuff that nobody ever shows on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> like people will contact me and they're like, I want to go to Europe for a month and do all the things you do. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. But here's the thing to do that. I remember the day I was in a basement at one of my rentals and 18 inches of sewage. Oh my in goodness. Boots, in rubber boots, dumping chlorine down there before I pumped this out into the yard, right? Like, so there are those days. And that's the stuff that nobody ever shows. And because it's not cool, it's not glamorous, but you got to put in the time to get to that point. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, man, I can't even imagine that. That's oh, full of sewers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and then the, what the, it was the was smell. The, the tenants. Well, luckily, I, have a, I was in a, an asset spill as a kid near it. So I have a bad smell. So I'm perfect for those jobs. But the tenant had just clogged up the toilet line. And uh, my, my employees like to come over to the glass window and make funny faces while I'm doing this. <laughs> But uh, anyways, so they clogged it up and, and there was nothing in the basement and like let it go for a couple of weeks. And finally like, yeah, can you come over? It kind of base smell coming from the basement. So I opened the door and I looked down. I'm like, oh. <sighs> I'm like I kind of walked halfway down the stairs and looked, you know, of course, things are floating on the water. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, boy. I got to go into Harbor Freight and get a sump pump. I'll be back. Like, just take it easy. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, those are the tough days, right? The days you've got to crawl underneath the house and figure out what's going on. Or, but doing those things gives you the life that, that honestly, you could never dream of, right? I mean, I've been to places in the world that are just amazing. Met incredible people. I get to go to these awesome conferences. I just came from Phoenix. And, I mean, you know, but it's a result of real estate. You know, real estate, I never could have done any of these things or met awesome people like you. And just made great friends across the country without real estate. Yes, I would totally agree. It's meeting the people in the space. I don't think that in the industry, at least with real estate, you you meet a lot of great people who have very similar mindset, who have very similar mindsets, and they're very open and wanting to share their experiences. And I'm really sure that somebody has a similar experience as you had. And so it's fun to share those stories and at least build a network of community and get inputs and insight to um, other people's experiences as well. 100%. So, and that's, so we say, I like the term I use is like, get around the campfire, right? Be around like-minded people that kind of inspire you. And I go to, like, I was at a conference in Phoenix this weekend and you know, there's this kid that did like, you know, four deals last month. Like I did more than that, but like four and like that fires me up. Like I come home and I'm like, oh, we got to do more stuff. They did these novations and all these cool things and we got to do, you know, but yeah, be around people that are inspiring and exciting and doing things, right? They've got momentum. They've got action going on and, you know, get away from the people that just say, oh, real estate's a scam or, oh, you're working too hard. Follow your dream. You know, real estate can, it's just an amazing, amazing life. So for David, how about you and what's next for you and your company? Well, so the next thing for us, we're going to get into your space a little bit, like multifamily investing, the bigger stuff. That's sort of the next thing for us. We're looking at small apartments and mobile home parks. So that's something that we've, that I, for a long time, really wanted to start investing in. So I've been investing a lot of money and going to those types of boot camps, masterminds, that type of stuff. So yeah, so for our you know, buying whole company, that's the direction that we're heading in. Um, our wholesale company, we're, you know, again, I'm an old dinosaur caveman wholesaler. So 
I'm starting pay-per-click actually this week. So I'll let you know how that goes. That's something new for us. So that's what we're doing in, you know, in our, our wholesale company. And then our coaching company, we're just expanding and we're going to start doing some small live events and um, seeing if we can help some more people. Awesome. And so I'd love to ask David also, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Again, just only positively, right? I always try to look at the, or have at least a long-term plan, right? Like, where do I want this to go? Like, where do I want this to be in five years and 10 years? And I mean, it's, it's been amazing, right? I don't ever, everybody has bad days, right? I'm not going to say, I'm not ever going to say there's not like a tough day, right? You, you've got that where you have to let somebody go or, you know, just some, something happens, but you can't focus on that. You just focus on the longer part of the journey. But how it's affected me, I mean, it's it's given me a life that's just amazing. I was telling somebody yesterday, a couple of days ago, like, geez, you know, when I worked in like for 84 Lumber and ProBuild, like I loved being the guy, like I was a salesman, right? So I loved the plans and we do what's takeoffs, right? So someone comes in like, how much lumber do I need? How much doors? Like I love doing that process and talking to people. And, and I'm like, that'd be like a great job as a retiree to kind of go work the counter and how great would that be? And then I'm like, well, but then they're going to want me at 630 every morning. I'm like, I can't do that. They're going to want me seven days a week. I'm like, well, what if I want to go on vacation? My wife wants to go see the grandkids. I'm like, that's not going to work. So I couldn't do any of the things that I wanted without real estate. It just, you know, we love to travel. We've, again, we, you know, we've been from China to South America to Dubai to Europe. I mean, we, we get to do all of those things. So it's, it's, it's been, it's just been amazing for us. So I hope everybody that's listening, you know, fight through the hard days so that you can get to that. Cause it's really cool. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Oh my goodness. Buy more stuff, buy more stuff and hold it. That's the thing that I look back and see 2009 and 10. So what'll happen is, you know, if I'm like, we're in the Chattanooga market and I've got a, a deal and I go into my email and I type in like Rawling street, whatever. And I pull up my email and I've got emails from houses that we sold. I've sold all along the, the 10, 12 years. And I look at stuff that we sold for like $8,000, you know, 10 years ago that now is worth eight buy and hold. That's what I, I, if I could go back in time, I would buy more properties um, and just keep them, you know, keep them and hold them as rentals because real estate's going to go up in value. You know, it's, it's inflation proof. It's, it's the one thing that's going to continue to increase over time and you, know, you won't regret it. I promise you won't regret it. I was at a conference one time in San Francisco and this is 15 years ago. And this old guy was up there and uh, someone asked him like, well, how much do you think you should pay for a rental property? He's like, it doesn't matter. As long as, long as the cash flows and you're buying for the long term, just buy it because it, it, it's just going to continue to go up. And if you buy it and you have any type of mortgage, of course, that's going to be fixed and the, you know, the rental rate is going to go up over time and those tenants are going to pay that property off. So that's the advice I give people all the time. Buy more properties. Awesome. Well, David, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing all your journey and your experience in the real estate space. So really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. And so if our listeners want to find out more about you, David, and what you're doing in this space, where can they go? The easiest place, Instagram, actually all the social media stuff, it's uh, David Olds, R-E-I. And I've got them all branded the same because I'm not that smart. So I want to keep it simple because I'm a simple person. But yeah, definitely reach out to me on Instagram. I, I, I try to answer every single thing that people send me. Yeah, and I'd be happy to chat and get to know anybody. Awesome. Thank you so much again, David. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. 
Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.